Today's episode of the Press Box on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A., and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants and business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate, please. We're trying to raise $250,000, and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer here. We got lots and lots of great stuff to get to today, David. How about we talk about new presidential candidate Justin Amash? Hey, is there a lane for a libertarian in this thing? We'll also answer your listener mail, including the question, how could Jesse the body Ventura affect the presidential race? Plus, David guesses a strain pun headline. He's shaking his head at that thought and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, we got to start with a very curious phenomenon of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean the coronavirus TV commercial. This is not about the virus itself. It's about a brand. And it's about a brand being sensitive to the virus. Uh, A brand telling us that we're all in this together, David. And you can be in this together by ordering McDonald's or buying batteries or whatever it is. I want to start here. You know how sometimes when you visit a small town newspaper, you get that little multi-question survey you have to get through to actually get to the article? I got one yesterday. The survey was about brands and it asked me to select all the statements I agree with. Let me give you some of the statements I was offered. My favorite brands are providing me comfort. Healthcare workers are today's true heroes. I'm okay with my data being used to help others and the world will be forever changed by this. I feel like I'm getting some mixed messages there, right? My fear of the deadly coronavirus is being used to help me love brands and give away my data at the same time. I don't, I don't feel those thoughts are all exactly in sync. Anyway, that's what's sort of happening writ large. Our fear, our need for food that we don't cook at home is being repurposed in a TV commercial. <laughs> Let's start with State Farm Insurance. Take this in and tell me what strikes you about this ad. For now, we're all living a new normal. Businesses are closing. Living rooms are now offices and schools. Our world is suddenly different, but one thing stays the same. State Farm is there. To any of our customers currently facing financial burdens, call your State Farm agent because we're here to help make this new normal feel just a little more normal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I just want to point out that, by the way, that, that before I read, before I knew anything about this segment, I just made like three notes before we started doing this podcast. And my one note about the about this this uh, topic was uh, was this flowchart. 
our longstanding value arrow the virus situation arrow our longstanding value means something slightly different but our mission is the same that's like this is <laughs> i just like i'd like to give a give a big shout out to state farm for really just falling directly into the definition that i've laid out ahead of time without having any idea we we're going to be talking about them um this is it's it's like a funny joke and then you sit down and watch tv for like a four-hour block or you or it's and it's it's like the interesting thing about the, the commercials now is it's not just like a specific channel. It's not a targeted audience. It's not a specific, it's not just over, it's not just a regular cable service. It's, it's, it's everything. It's, you know, it's your Hulu, it's your, your YouTube, everything else is barraging you with these same commercials that are all saying the exact same thing, which is we understand, uh, but don't forget about us. And by the way, thank you to insurance companies for feeling for, for caring about me. Thank you particularly to my car insurance company for cutting my, my, my rates this month or where all this, where all this stuff is going on. But you see what a real, uh, highly successful company does in a time of stress like this, which is just lay off half the staff. If your reaction is, we're just going to give some of our money back. That is, you're so far even like above and beyond even like the corrupt businesses that are, that are firing people. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that anyone on at State Farm can even get infected by the virus when they're sitting on such a tall stack of our money. But, uh, but you know, congratulations to them for feeling it for us right now. It's kind of like branding, branding the stay at home portion of this, right? We are all staying home brought to you by State Farm, you know, kind of yeah. like a football game. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. That's all they want to do, right? That's not it's not so much as selling a product that they they definitely would not mind if you call State Farm and buy something, but it's just kind of putting our logo there in the corner of the screen. This is another approach. This commercial comes from Verizon. Kind of hard to get into a phone store now and get your data plan changed. But David, I want you to listen to the music here and to the service Verizon is offering at this very difficult time. My name is Jonathan and I work for Verizon. I totally get how important it is to stay connected. We're connecting with people. We're offering them solutions. Customers can do what they need to do whenever they need to do it online. Because it gives customers the ability to not come into the store. They can simply tap and swipe. Something that they can use wherever they are. We care about keeping you safe. At Verizon, we are here and we are ready. We are open 24-7 online, so you can keep managing all you need from home and through the Verizon apps and Verizon.com. Wait, is the message there that our our intelligent phones are helping us get through this crisis by l allowing us to pass the time? Well, they're connecting us with people. Is I think oh, the are. word you're you're groping for that might have been mentioned prominently a couple of times in that ad. Right. Yeah. Well, we're all connected now. I think my favorite claim was the website is open twenty four seven. I believe the website worked before <laughs> the coronavirus. Right. You could get on the web in the middle of the night. But it's not, it's not like we're, we're offering something. We're just, if you have a problem, feel free to get online. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> really not much of an offer, right? That, that's kind of the normal offer. But they're here. They're here for you. They're connecting. And as we'll see, putting this all in the mouth of people who work at the stores, who are, I think, sympathetic figures in this time of pandemic, of layoffs and those kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. Of brick and mortar stores being closed. That's going to become a strategy going forward. Ooh, Let's not okay. forget about those people, right? We want to, this isn't the big corporation telling you something. This is the nice guy at the phone store. When you bring in your phone, he goes, oh, I can fix that. Just give me a second, right? Pizza delivery, David, big thing during the coronavirus. It's kind of like the kind of need for pizza we normally have during the Super Bowl. Oh, That's yeah. happening almost every day during this. Mm -hmm. Vox noted that 
during this year's Super Bowl, Domino's Pizza had an ad that was based on the movie Risky Business. Guy dancing around in his underwear, and then the pizza come to the door, and the delivery guy is Curtis Armstrong, who was actually in Risky Business. Well, there's a new contactless delivery Domino's ad that was recut that eliminated the delivery guy. <laughs> right? So essentially, they're saying, we don't want to remind you that someone is coming, that another human is coming to your door. We just want to remind you that you can order pizza. But we're everybody's so scared oh of seeing people, we just cut the delivery guy out. Now, that pizza is not going to be brought to you by a drone. There will be an actual pizza man or pizza woman coming to your door. But he's not in the commercial. He got cut. Why can't it be brought to us by a drone? Why aren't, why aren't there people out there protesting drone rights or drone the, the drone laws that are out there <laughs> prohibiting the drones from bringing us our pizzas? Yeah, well, there's there, that's something we can uh, talk about on a future episode. Cutting out the delivery guy is kind of the implicit message about safety. Via Vox's Meredith Haggery, there's also an, an explicit message about pizza safety. I bring you a commercial from Papa John's. At Papa John's, we want you to know that from our 450-degree oven to box to you, it's our policy that your pizza is never touched once it comes out of the oven. And we're taking extra steps like no-contact delivery to ensure it. Your pizza will never be touched once it comes out of the oven. See, I think that ad accidentally discourages me from ordering pizza. <laughs> I think on. if you just, well, I just think if you had a pig, if you showed me a picture of a piping hot pizza and didn't mention, you know, any of the possible disease vectors or human touching that could go on, which is pretty low from everything I've read, you know, about order about food. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you just didn't tell me that at all, I'd be like, ooh, pizza, that sounds like a great idea tonight. Now, if you just explicitly come out and say, we will not touch this pizza after it comes out of the oven, then I'm like, oh, wait, is there something I'm supposed to be worried about here? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. We promise not to taste your pizza between the oven and the box. That's it. like unlike our normal, unlike the, unlike our normal procedure. I also couldn't help but think, remember in the 80s when we were growing up, how all these companies would bring out their CEO in a commercial the <laughs> 80s was kind of the age of the heroic ceo so like lee yeah. iacocca would do like a chrysler ad and stuff like that dave thomas founder of wendy's dave thomas founder of wendy's there's a good one do you regret that papa john has been canceled so that he cannot craft a papa john's commercial that he's the star of and try to assure us during this time of uh, national difficulty uh I mean, is there any doubt that Papa John would be leading a protest if he was still if, in that commercial, if he were able to make his own commercials? No. I mean, you mean <laughs> he's like the, holding a shut down the shutdown sign kind yeah. of thing? Yes. Yeah. He wants to deliver us the rights of our founding fathers. Like, uh... <laughs> in 30 minutes or less. So we've seen the safety commercial. Uh, here's one that doesn't touch on that. It touches more on the idea that you are living a sad and unimaginative indoor life, particularly when it comes to food. And this company, Pizza Hut, can help. If you're over mac and cheese and PB&Js, have we got good news for you. Right now, get Pizza Hut's best delivery deal. Large pizzas with up to three toppings for just $9.99. Available for carryout or contactless delivery at PizzaHut.com. I do like any ad that says, if you're tired of a cheap product <laughs> covered in melted cheese. <laughs> we, have we got an alternative for you? Oh my pizza. God. Pizza. Pizza. 
PB and J's, I understand. Because uh, there's been there's been a lot of that in the Curtis household. I don't know about the Shoemaker household. Yeah. The PB and J's have been like, a, I've, I've rediscovered my love for PB and J's during this, during this situation though. I haven't quite gotten to the other side where I hate, where I just resent their existence yet, but I'm fully, I'm, I'm 100% like NBA player, like PB and J consumption volume right now. It's, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> my, my particular one is just a ham and cheese sandwich, oh. which I was always willing to eat, but never really excited yes. to eat. Yes. And don't you get so excited when it gets like right around noon and you can go like just prepare yourself with mayo, mustard, whatever you want, just a ham and cheese sandwich. Oh my God. It's so good. It's so good. Just a very, like, like anything, any just staple of your, of your childhood that didn't, that didn't come in a casserole dish, or maybe that did come in a casserole <laughs> dish just tastes so good right now. I was going to say, don't rule out those casseroles. Cause I've been eating a bunch of those too. Number of commercials, David have been canceled. As a result uh, of the coronavirus, the LA Times reports that a survey by the Association of National Advertisers found that 92% of marketers had adjusted their messages since mid-March. The go-getter careerist in a commercial has swapped his crisp dress shirt for a crisp t-shirt for kitchen table Skype calls with his loved ones, uh, the paper writes. There was a particularly funny, and I can't play it because it's just all music, but there was this Kentucky fried chicken commercial that was airing earlier this year where everyone was licking their fingers while eating <laughs> chicken. And one person even offered their finger to another person to lick. <laughs> That's not on TV anymore. That may never be on TV again. Oh my God. That's actually, that's actually how coronavirus was introduced to the United States. I don't know. A lot of people don't know that, but it was the filming of that KFC commercial. <laughs> According to Vanity Fair's Jane Borden, the brands getting the most attention as the pandemic drags on are doing something different. They're selling nothing. In these mm -hmm. ads, soaring music accompanies pictures and videos, much of them generated remotely, of empty cities, hands touching hands through plates of glass, and or essential workers wearing masks before the spot ends with words of support. Someone at a marketing firm tells Borden, they're not doing hard advertising per se. They're just saying, hey, look, we're a brand and we care. <laughs> Speaking of which, here's Walmart. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. I hope this was like a Thunderdome situation where if you sang well enough, you got the week off. You didn't actually have to come in and subject yourself to potentially contracting the coronavirus. Um, no, I got to tell you, when, this, when we first saw this commercial in my household, we were, we were momentarily touched and then just sort of like all simultaneously laughing by the end of it. The singing was fantastic. 
So Matt, yeah. Walmart has some incredible some incredible pipes amongst its uh, uh, millions and millions of employees. But um, but yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. This was like the scene in a Michael Bay movie where he goes to slow motion and people start hanging American flags out the window. And you're just like, <laughs> I know what you're doing to me right now, but I'm still going to get choked up. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can't you can't help but get caught up. Also, we just lost Bill Withers this month. Right. Yeah. So the, so the song is kind of itself a tribute. But yeah, what you can't see there is that Walmart is doing something very brandy, which is they are taking this song and having it be sung by a Walmart associate, someone who works in the pharmacy, a case order filler, a.k.a. real working people. So whatever mixed feelings that you and I might have about Walmart, gosh, I like those people, right? I want those people to have a job when all this ends. Mm hmm. So in a way, it sort of disarms the part of your brain that might be suspicious of corporate America and kind of, it kind of sounds like, wow, Walmart, that sounds like a friendly place, you know, where people are breaking into song <laughs> to get, to get us through this national pandemic or worldwide pandemic. Uh, yeah. I would go to, I would, if, if I had to, if there were a superstore where the employees actually did break into song that I would go, I would drive 20 minutes out of the way to go to that store. Yeah, are they are they singing through a mask? Is that what's happening now? Because well, there weren't very many masks in that commercial, were there? I didn't. It no. seemed, it seemed a little. They weren't bit... actually in the. Yeah, but they weren't actually like t you know five feet from you as you walked in. As <laughs> the what has happened to the Walmart greeter? Has someone done that piece? Oh, you I know? have no idea. Because remember, there'd be that person, often a, a little bit of an older person there near mm -hmm. the door, just telling you hi when you walked into Walmart, or checking your receipt on the way out. Is that is that person still around? Maybe they have a bubble or something. <laughs> um, it was probably inevitable, David, at a tasteful interval that we were going to get the coronavirus commercial with humor, the mm -hmm. same kind of humor that we had pre-virus. Listen to this ad from Burger King and just know this. The characters in the ad are saluting you, like giving you a crisp military style salute while this happens. Your country needs you to stay on your couch and order in. Do your part and we'll do ours. Order through the Burger King app and the delivery fees are on us. So staying home doesn't just make us all safer, it makes you a couch patriot. And to help healthcare heroes, we are donating Whopper sandwiches to nurses. And we are also proudly supporting the American Nurses Foundation. Stay home of the Whopper. That's actually the full um, Michael Bay treatment. Yeah, that's fantastic work. You can save America by staying home and ordering Burger King. Stay home of the Whopper. They, they, they're fully refitted. But it's that exact kind of humor that's not actually funny, but mm -hmm. it's kind of commercial funny. Yeah. You know, like when I had the Super Bowl and like all those football writers are writing about how funny the commercials are. It's like only you old dude thought that was actually funny that a, like a talking squirrel was behind the wheel of a car or something like that. Right. Burger King did the coronavirus version of that, which is pretty ballsy on, on one level. Right. Like we we think this will play during a time when 60,000 people have died. Be a, be a couch <laughs> patriot and stay home and order your Burger King. Your Burger King sandwich. <laughs> I think the final category here, and I don't even really have any sound for this because it's it's more soaring music than anything else. But did you see the Uber ad? No. Uh, it starts with people doing stay at home things. Uh, you know, giving a guy a beard trim. 
uh, kids riding on roller skates inside the house, uh, somebody who's pregnant. And then it says Uber stay home for everyone who can't thank you for not riding with Uber. So thank you for not using it. So with Burger King, right? You are saving America. You're saving the planet by ordering Burger King. Mm -hmm. With Uber, you're saving the planet by not riding with Uber, by not calling the car. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I guess there's some truth to that. I just, it's it's so, so befuddling. I guess Uber, I guess for a lot of people, Uber is a necessity. So I'm glad that they're out there just saying something, but I can't quite tell what the point is. That's the whole thing, right? Is this, this sort of a need to say something. Yeah. Even if you don't really have anything to say. Yeah, it's um, like a support group meeting where someone's just like, all right, Brian, your turn to talk, and you're just obligated to stand up and just say how your week's gone. <laughs> I'll leave you with this. On that survey that I got from the local news website, first of all, it, had, it made me answer 10 questions. This was question number 10 out of 10. So by this point, I'm already pretty worn down, right? I, mm-hmm. I swear to you, this is the actual question. When you think about what's meaningful to you when you choose particular brands, is it more meaningful to you that A, a brand understands my frustrations or B, a brand provides me with dreams. (laughs) Now, (laughs) whoever thinks those are the two things that brands do to people are the people who wrote those commercials. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a brand, if you're looking for a commercial to provide your dreams, is that what it said? Uh, Provides me with dreams. A brand provides me with dreams. Unless they're talking about those like coronavirus nightmares that everybody's having having right now. I mean, if a dream, if a brand could provide me with something to dream about, that's not like me falling off a cliff with my family, then yeah, then then uh, I would like to brand to provide me that dream. But a dream in life, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think you, that's that's where not where I'm looking right now. You were telling me you and you and your family really wanted to go to the Longhorn Steakhouse. Do you think the Longhorn Steakhouse understands your frustration or provides you with dreams? I think the the employees of the Longhorn Steakhouse almost certainly understand my frustrations right now. I'm not sure about the people in the, the Longhorn Steakhouse corporate office, wherever that may be. <laughs> Their answer to the awesome blossom does probably provide you with dreams. All right, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod. David, remember the Houston Astros cheating scandal? Where they were banging on trash cans? Does that seem like nine million years ago? God, yes. It seems like forever ago. A scout on the 2017 World Championship team has put his World Series ring up for auction. The proceeds going to a coronavirus-related charity. One problem, the Astros said they have a contract where if you sell your World Series ring, you have to allow the team to buy it back for $1. Okay, I guess that's to prevent Mm -hmm. the secondary market for World Series rings. One dollar. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write bang for buck. Banging (laughs) on the trash cans. Thanks to Dan Lust. Uh, David, I totally missed this one from the NFL draft. But remember that very palatial, very modern home that Arizona Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury was in. Of course. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Cliff should carefully check if anything is amiss in his basement. Apparently, we're going to do parasite jokes for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Charles Swan for that. And finally, David, I love this one. A quote from TMZ Sports. Kendall Jenner takes quarantine road trip with NBA star Devin Booker. Oh, God. Kendall Jenner takes quarantine road trip with NBA star Devin Booker. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, 
we should have known Ben Simmons wouldn't make it work from long distance. Thanks to <laughs> J.M. Junkins. If you know how to provide content to every Ringer NBA writer and us, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. David, let's talk about Justin Amash for president. But first, this message from the Ringer. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network that we are launching this week. It's called TV Concierge. It's only available on Spotify. These are 12 to 15 minute mini podcasts that review the latest TV shows streaming on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO, Showtime, FX, Apple TV, wherever else. We'll preview new shows that are launching. We'll break down the biggest shows that just launched. We'll review the biggest binge watch seasons that drop as they happen on Monday. We're launching three of these, all mini pods. You can listen to one. You can listen to all three. It's up to you. It's our new TV concierge podcast from the Ringer Podcast Network. Think of it like a little bit of a playlist. Pick and choose the ones you want to listen to. It's available only on Spotify. All right, David, in the notebook dump, I want us to size up the potential presidential campaign the exploratory campaign hmm. of Justin Amash, independent libertarian congressman from Michigan. On Tuesday, he announced he's launching an exploratory committee to run for the Libertarian Party nomination. Here's why Amash thinks his candidacy makes sense. I'm asking you, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people who are lined up with where you stand on these issues. Actually, I think you're making the case for the candidacy. There are millions of Americans who aren't represented by either Donald Trump or Joe Biden, who aren't represented by the Republicans or the Democrats. And those millions of Americans deserve a choice on the ballot. And it's pretty silly to say, well, we shouldn't allow another candidate to be on the ballot. We just want to have these two candidates. And in fact, the way we got Donald Trump is because every Republican who didn't like Donald Trump was told insistently, they were told, you must vote for Donald Trump because he's the Republican nominee and you have to vote for the Republican. Similarly, people are being told today on the Democratic side, you have to vote for Joe Biden and Republicans are being told you have to vote for Donald Trump again. That's not the way the system is supposed to work. We're supposed to have a system where the people are represented and there are millions and millions of people, I would say the plurality of Americans, who are not well represented by either of these two parties or either of these two candidates and they deserve an opportunity to vote for someone that they want to win. Um, well, I, I have to tell you, I watched that interview live and it was every bit as sort of grating at the time. Um, I don't know quite what to make of this. I think that the most interesting part of the whole of the his candidacy is, well, there's a couple of things. One, I think that if coronavirus didn't exist, <laughs> if, if we weren't in this situation, I think that we would still be kind of, we, we would kind of be identifying we, the dotted line between all the kind of political moves and stances Justin Amash has made over the past, well, four years, but particularly the past couple and, and, and this candidate and this, this, you know, fledgling candidacy. Um, I think in the, in the, with the existence of the virus, I think it's even more clear, right? I mean, this almost feels like, like he's got a coupon for the Texas Roadhouse and he's just damned if he's not going to be able to cash it in no matter no matter what kind of quarantine <laughs> is in place. But I but more more interesting than that and I guess this fits more from a, for a media angle is watching I was watching the you heard it right there the host on MSNBC uh and other channels too it was on CNN on Fox 
kind of feeling the liberty to wrestle with the morality of his decision to to, to float this candidacy in in real time. Um, NBC, I mean MSNBC opened up the day I know with Claire McCaskill out there just just tisk tisking with the force of a tsunami. Uh, Justin Amash's choice to even suggest that he might run. And it seems like every interview, every mention of it as the day went on was sort of like, why would you like look around the world? Why are you doing this to us right now? See, that I don't understand. I mean, on the one hand, everything he said about having another choice is sort of generic third party rhetoric that could have mostly come out of the mouth of like Ross Perot. And there's really nothing, you know, why should people have to vote for the Republican or vote for the Democrat? You know, shouldn't they deserve or certain the people really get to decide like, okay, you know, that, that doesn't sound very original, but on the other hand, he's running for the libertarian party nomination, right? That's going to exist whether Amash runs for president or not. So is he, was he supposed to just pick like a better time to go on a big tour of MSNBC? And talk to Chuck Todd and all these other people. Like, I, I, what is that? How does that make any sense? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a couple of things that, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. I do. I just feel like, well, for one, I think from a television newscaster's point of view, there's a little bit more gravity to what they're doing on an hourly basis, a daily basis now than maybe there was six months ago. And, there was a time, and I'm sure in the absence of a national, an international epidemic, there'd probably be a, a, it'd probably be this time right now where they'd be excited by the distraction that a potential Amash candidacy would would provide, at least for the you know five minutes of every of every hour block or whatever. Um, but you know, I think that from a in, in, from, on, for, if you're looking around the world and you're dealing with this like heavy real stuff all the time and not just this horse racy shit, and and also. I think there's a certain built-in exhaustion from the the race that we've seen so far, where you sort of like, you know, we had 45 Democratic candidates on stage for way too long at every debate, and and we've we're, we're kind of we've cycled through all the sort of single issue candidacies or vanity candidacies, you know, like we're we're under the real race now, we're under the real the real matchup, and that Justin Amash would just like come in only floating this idea now, I think just evokes a certain level of of exhaustion from the people who are, you know, tasked with reporting it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue that the presidential race really isn't happening at all. Yeah, right now, and that him entering it, I guess, obliges everyone to to sort of be interested in it. But sorry, what is Claire McCaskill talking about on MSNBC right now? You know, other than coronavirus response, is she that? Is she so busy? You know, no, 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 no. I know Claire Claire McCaskill is coming at it from, and that's a different one. I mean, I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about the anchors basically, and the and the you know the 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 top line talent. Claire McCaskill is there, was there, I mean, coming out strong, just basically saying anything that anyone does that I don't even know if jeopardizes is the right word, because I don't know how we, I don't think we know how this is all going to shake out, but anything anyone does to disrupt the path towards Joe Biden's election should be condemned to hell. I mean, that was basically it. I mean, the implication was that he, that his candidacy would help, would help Trump. Um, but I think you can, you can draw, you can, you can, you know, work that out in so many different ways. I think that the real thing is just the kind of disruption at this point is not welcome. You know, sit, sit back down your desk, son, that sort of thing. So the idea being that like, there are some Republicans or conservatives who are leery about voting for another Trump term mm -hmm. and Amash gives them a place to put their vote. That's not Joe Biden. But like, if that vote goes away from Donald Trump, right. I mean, it's really it's really hard to imagine like a Democrat saying, well, I don't like Joe Biden, but Justin Amash is is the kind of guy I can get behind. I mean, that's what's weird about this. To me, it's much more deadly for Trump 
yes. than anything else. And I understand like conservatives, there's this piece by Tim Alberta in Politico where Mark Sanford, former South Carolina congressman, you know, comes out and says he's going to hand the election essentially to Biden if he comes in. And so I guess you could read that both ways. I mean, the funny part about this third party candidacy, right, is there are third party candidates who conceivably at the right moment in American history could win the presidential election. Justin Amash is not one of those people now or ever, right? He is not going to be president. So we're almost solely talking about him as a spoiler so, and, as a, and as a kind of like lightning rod for anti-Trump you know, kind of feeling within the Republican party. Here's a real conservative, right? Unlike our, and here's somebody who's not, you know, telling us to all drink bleach, unlike the president of the United States, that kind of thing. Yes. My, the only thing I can think is that there's just so much uncertainty in the process dating back to Trump's election. You know, the very notion of a voter that would switch from Bernie Sanders to Donald Trump, I think just scares the shit out of everybody in Washington. And that Justin Amash as a, I think maybe his lack of, of profile might actually help him in that regard, that there would be a, just a sort of a class of performatively undecided voters who are interested in his candidacy because, you know, Biden is lame and Trump is bothering them right now. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, don't, I think the logic, logically you would think it would work out in Donald Trump, I mean, in, in Joe Biden's favor for Amash to run. But I'm, I'm actually more interested in the spoiler element that you were talking about, because to declare right now only has that one purpose. You're right. I mean, it seems to only, only have that one purpose. I mean, I guess, there's a, I guess there could be a different purpose, which is maybe you get more. Maybe it's all about profile building for a future run. And this is a, be, and this is a better moment or, or absent the coronavirus. This would be a better moment to achieve some sort of national profile than it would have been just to get squashed in every primary by Trump. Right. I mean, this gives mm -hmm. you a little bit more a little bit more profile from a, you know, fighting the establishment or fighting the Trump establishment, whatever sort of point of view. But if he's a spoiler and if he knows that he's a spoiler, if the plan is to be a spoiler, then what is the, then what is the plan? Is it just to bring down Trump? I mean, that, it seems like, it seems like he's kind of going about it the wrong way if that's the plan. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's what all these anti-Trump conservatives, right. Sort of have to decide at some point, you know, how much do you want to be the guy who blows it? Right. If there's, if there are, tight races all over the Midwest and you by being a slightly bigger name conservative than maybe the guy who would otherwise win the libertarian party nomination. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be that guy who was like, well, you know, he took away X number of votes from Trump and then Joe Biden pulled out in Wisconsin and won the election, that kind of thing. So that's a calculation everybody has to make. And I think it has, I would, I actually like, would like a, what you suggested a list of, things that scared the Democrats about the 2020 election mm -hmm. that we could just backdate to January at this point and run through November. Cause there'd be like a thousand things like times when Democrats got the jitters because they thought they were going to blow it. <laughs> and, um, this is, this'll, this'll be a data point because ultimately that's probably all that it will amount to. All right, David, let's do a little listener mail. We do this every Thursday. You can uh, send us a note at the press box pod about anything and we'll do our best. This is from Beers, Bacon, and Back Roads. What's your take on Jesse Ventura possibly being the spoiler in the presidential race? He has indicated he may run for the Green Party nomination. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Jesse Ventura is 
There's a little hint of what the, the conversation we had about Rodman earlier this week. Jesse Ventura is a kind of guy, he was a very specific like media crossover figure at a very specific point in our nation's history. And I think there will never be a day where Jesse Ventura could not get on you know, the news channel of his choice, right? I mean, he just represents a certain thing and we will always, just like, you know, will people will always respond to OJ Simpson tweets. People will always just like, you know, listen to, listen to what Jesse Ventura has to say about whatever's going on, no matter how inane it may be. I mean, listen, I love Jesse Ventura as a professional wrestling commentator, but I find it, but the functional reality of this is that he will never be on any ballot and probably, you know, won't even try that hard to get on one. Yeah, he he feels like a talk show guest more than an actual presidential candidate. He feels like a Howard Stern running for mayor of New York or something. Except, <laughs> except like I except I think Jesse probably believes in his candidacy a little bit more, but has a whole lot less like energy to to follow through with it. Jesse Ventura only sixty eight years old, so he's quite a bit younger than a number of the current presidential candidates. I'm not sure I would have known that without looking. Also hosts various and has hosted various shows on RT. Or RT oh, yeah. America, mm-hmm. so like all the kind of, you know, fear and and loathing and and terror people had of RT. Like, what if an RT host was on the presidential was on the presidential <laughs> ballot? That'd be wild. This is oh, from Jake man. Tuber. David, does Fox's firing of personalities like Trish Regan and Diamond and Silk signal anything broader about the network? Or are these just run-of-the-mill personnel changes? If you did not follow this story, Diamond and Silk, who were on the Fox Nation app, had some truly crazy coronavirus theories. Diamond, back in March, per the Daily Beast, said, what I need to know is how many people have passed away in New York. And what I need to know is who has the bodies. I need for somebody that does investigative work to call the morgues, to call the funeral homes. We need to know because I don't trust anything else that comes out of his mouth now. Something's not right here. Something is off here, et cetera, et cetera. So what should we read into the conscious uncoupling with Diamond and Silk and Fox News? Uh, Trish Regan, to be clear, was a Fox business host who said that the coronavirus was, a, I believe, was a uh, some sort of scam to get Trump out of office. Um, the expanded Fox universe. I, should say. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think that I think uh, callously it's easy to look at that or it's tempting to look at that and just be like, you know, you, you kind of like you fire the least significant person who does the same thing everybody else is doing to try to make it seem like you care about this issue or that you're taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Ding, 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 um, ding, ding. But I'm sure there's more to it than that. More to it. Like they were totally expendable. All three of them. I'm not, and I'm, and I'm, and you know, just like anything else, every, everybody's looking to, to cut costs these days. I'm sure that there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of talent fees over at, at, you know, Fox's online platform, you know, over the top platform that are probably feel like they're being overpaid right now, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think that, I think that probably it's just, you know, just trying to prove, trying, trying to prove that they care when they clearly don't. Yeah, I, I think your most cynical thought is the correct one, which is that they don't really play a huge role in the Fox universe. And so if you can make, you know, if you can get rid of somebody like this and kind of make a demonstration to media observers that, oh, well, hey, you know, Fox did get rid of Diamond and Silk. But the, the question, of course, why are Diamond and Silk on any Fox property anyway? I mean, that's that's just that was that's the crazy part. Right. It's not it's not that they, it's not that they finally went too far. Like they've never not gone too far. So I just think that's what it is, you know, and, and Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, right. Those people who and we've said what they had, what they said about coronavirus way back when they're not going anywhere. 
So I just think this is the easiest, kind of the easiest people to cut. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to say what were they doing on any part of Fox, I mean, I think if you went down the Fox contributor, you know, payroll list, you'd probably be pretty shocked. You're right, but Diamond and Silk, I mean, that's still pushing on the on the power rankings of like contributors that have something to offer that is also true i think diamond silk would would fall pretty low on that list i mean Fo- fox nation employs the former pro wrestler the funkasaurus who is not <laughs> not quite not quite in the jesse ventura you? category of thinker but uh how but, dare you sir the funkasaurus uh yeah it is it is funny that they just have this this whole, whole sort of counter thing it's like yeah if you like the funkasaurus and diamond and silk Subscribe to our subscribe to our app. Here's Thomas Brook. Uh, he asks, is breaking news Chiron irrevocably broken on cable news? It took about a week into pandemic coverage to observe that it was permanently on the screen and sometimes used to announce an interview with a reporter from the Atlantic, not actual breaking news. Uh, I'll start on this one. I mean, that just we kind of learned that that breaking news thing would never go away about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And then it would just be used all the time. I think there's a real sort of downside to doing it now when everybody is already afraid. And, you know, you can be, you know, you looking at television, right? And this is the idea, like how much actual coronavirus news occurs during a given day. You know, there's lots of helpful things to watch. But in terms of like, this is breaking, this is important, you should know this. Probably not all that much. But when you put that on television all day, all you're doing is trying to get people to keep watching, right? We're going to have a big revelation in 30 minutes. Something's going to happen. Yeah. And there's something incredibly cynical about that. It's the reality show teaser before every commercial that makes you think a big fight's about to happen when you come back. And then they tease it and tease it to the last segment and there's never a fight or there's you know mm-hmm. not always a fight. Yeah. I mean, I think this, we pointed this, I feel like this has been going on for half a decade at least. I don't remember when it was that MSNBC started running their little atomic clock the, the countdown clock in the bottom left hand corner i think was it during the last election cycle where like it, w- it would be or was it like dirt during a trump investigation whatever it was it was mm-hmm. just like it, it started off as something legitimate where it was just like countdown until you know the comey public testimony or something like that and then the next thing you know it was like they were using the same countdown clock to say like this many minutes until until you know Julian Castro appears on Olbermann, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just like the clock never ended, right? It was just like pointing out something different and something less significant each time. Uh, yeah, I mean, breaking news is 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 broken, but <laughs> but uh, I'm not quite sure. I, I mean, the Chiron's not going to go away unless they find something that's more, you know, flashy and urgent. This is from Brian Boyle. What is the best order to read Charles Portis's catalog? Oh Start God. with the most popular, True Grit, the cult fan favorite, Dog of the South, the most critically acclaimed, Masters of the Atlantics, Atlantis? Masters of the... Of Masters, Masters of, of Atlantis, yeah. Masters of Atlantis. Uh, should I go in chronological order of release? What say you, David? Uh, I just had this conversation um, with Ringer staffer Connor Evans, uh, and actually only had the first part of it. Here's what I would say. Dog of the South is number one, full, full stop. You got to read Dog of the South first. And you have to... And, and, if, and if Dog of the South is not, you know your favorite book within like 50 pages, start over, try again. And if it's still not your favorite book, then this is probably a lost cause. But I will say Dog of the South is number one. Number two is, I would say either Masters of Atlantis or Norwood. Norwood, if you're a, if you're a, uh, you know, connoisseur of first novels, I think there, I mean, I don't, I don't say that. I say that, that I think I am in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, I think, I think I would recommend a lot of people like, you know, 
read the wanderers or read those early richard price books before they get too deep mm-hmm. into the catalog or whatever or masters of atlantis if you're into some, if you want to get something kind of more expansive and deeper and and a little bit more head trippy that would be one of those two for number two but i would definitely go then then true grit number three true grit is maybe his probably his best book i mean just his most perfect perfect book but it's unlike everything else so to say it to, i mean that you can only really appreciate it as a charles portis work after you've sort of you know been fully submerged in charles portis for a while that would be that that, that would be my one two three but you know do whatever you want it's all good we got a couple of notes on the backdrops reporters have when they beam into espn or one of the news networks uh-huh Michael Mason sends a uh, sports media zoom backdrop pick three. Okay. You can only pick three for your hypothetical sports media member. Got it. The Friday night lights book, a family Ooh. photo, the sports illustrated football phone, North Dallas 40 poster pick with a former president, super Nintendo console, mm. little league trophy, vinyl collection or leather bound classic books. That's oh. a pretty great list, by the that's way. That's really good. That's really good. Friday Night Lights is up there. I mean, that's got you got it. You got to yeah. have that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The um, like the recent this. I feel there's this whole kind of thing. And I, and look, I am totally guilty of this because I rearrange my bookshelves all the time. Mm-hmm. But just like kind of bringing forth what you think is like the significant sports book and also the sports book that you would want people to associate with you. You know, if you just had to pick just one. Um, that's a big deal. And I can only imagine doing that in front of an audience of millions. This is from Aaron Saunders, kind of Aaron Sanders, excuse me, kind of related. Have you guys seen the Twitter account room Raider? What scores do you, do you think both of you would get if you had the account rate your Skype zoom setups? I have not seen that, but I want to direct everybody's attention to the Twitter account bookcase credibility, where they rate the bookshelves of talking heads that pop up on the news networks. Oh, wow. That's great. This is bookcase credibility on former UK PM Gordon Brown. A standard bookcase is credibility wallpaper presentation, but notable for the double stacking everywhere and what appears to be three copies of the same book about Robert Kennedy, a kitchen sink approach. (laughs) Sort of deadpan review of everybody's bookshelf. Get yourself over there to that account if you have not visited it. Here's a hypothetical. I feel we've done a couple of different ways, David, but Jeremy Schneider and Sean Campbell had similar questions. Alternate history. Had the coronavirus hit hard with Bernie Sanders, still the Democratic favorite, would it have cemented his position or at all changed the discourse? Role of government has been a flashpoint with socialism seemingly rejected, but now people need more government assistance. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, if he, what, if he were, if it were, like, are we talking like pre South Carolina? Yeah. Or like, or like post South Carolina, neck and neck. Yeah, I think the Dem favorite would probably be pre South Carolina. I mean, he would have been he would have been kind of irresistible. Uh, I mean, um, seemingly irresistible if it was a pre South Carolina kind of situation. If it were actually pre South Carolina, I mean, if it were that early in the process, I think we'd be having lots of conversations about how to move the process forward. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think anyone would have called it a day at that point. But if we were like this deep in. And he was like a 60-40 favorite or a 70-30 favorite or something like that, then yeah. I mean, I think he'd have a real platform to kind of cement that place. It would be really interesting. It'd be really interesting to see kind of how the Democratic establishment re- reacted to something like that. But I, I it's 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 so hard to game that out. I, I don't know. What do you think? I think it's like a couple of different forces working on it. I think when when this whole thing started, there was a push to say, 
we cannot have a Democratic primary anymore. So anybody who was in the lead at that point would have had something of an advantage, right? Like if we're just going to shut this thing down and I'm in the lead, then I, there's a case that I am going to win or I'm, or at least there's a real good case for just making me the nominee. That's one thing. The second thing though, is I just wonder if that had happened, if the whole rally around Joe Biden effect would have just happened earlier. If a lot of those Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar level candidates would have been like, you know what? Coronavirus pandemic descending on America, Donald Trump, not ready. Donald Trump denying it exists. Our only hope to win this thing is the experienced guy. Let's defer. Let's rally around him like two week a week earlier than we might've done already. Like right after Nevada, maybe I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I, I could see either one happening this. And finally, David from Mike balls Mullen with more people getting sick of being cooped up in their homes and wanting to go back to restaurants, et cetera, to alleviate that. Oh. Will we see the literal meaning for dying of boredom? <laughs> Probably a good time to to eliminate dying of boredom from from the vocabulary. I think dying, if anything, I think, I think Craig Gaines has already eliminated all those things from any current Ringer story. So yes, uh, can somebody yeah. put Craig Gaines in charge? I have I have more confidence in Craig Gaines than like thirty one American governors at this point. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And all those and all the uh, public press releases would be spelled and punctuated impeccably. <laughs> all right, Dapper David Shoemaker guesses a strained pun headline. And here David gives us a sigh to indicate his displeasure with a segment. Mm. Monday's headline about the ESPN Michael Jordan doc was Phil Jackson's legacy comes full triangle. Today's headline comes from Johnny Rads. It's from the Irish Daily Mirror. It touches on the Donald Trump bleach scandal we talked about on Monday. And the mirror says, you know, suggesting we can take Lysol to fight coronavirus is the last straw, David. The point of no return. Donald Trump must be removed from office right now after suggesting that this might be possible. What was the Irish Daily Mirror's strained pun headline? Oh, that's. How do we remove a president from office here in the United States? Impeachment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Mm. Impeach. Mm -hmm. Mm Just walking right up to it. Uh, and p- Think of the product Donald Trump was. Uh, Lysol. Mm-hmm. Lysol, kind of. Bleach. Uh, Lysol and peach. What is that it? Li- uh, li- uh, M. Uh, M. What? M. M. Not impeach, but M. M. Bleach. M. Bleach him. Oh, God. Okay. That's I, great. I think I might have gone with M. Bleachment. Yeah. <laughs> But M bleach M bleach him, says the Irish Daily. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Mirror. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. We're back Monday, and we need to address the sexual assault allegations against Joe Biden. I think we've got enough info now to understand at least how we should begin to think about them. Mm-hmm. And of course, more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you, Brian. 